0: Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello!
1: And welcome to Awesome Etiquette,
0: where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: On today's show, we take your etiquette questions about finger foods, Is 2.30 o'clock a thing? Zits at the dinner table? Party guests not paying attention to invitations? And gifts that you don't really like from someone you really love?
0: Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on Emily Post's theory of the bank of life.
1: Coming up... Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post.
0: And I'm Dan Post-Senning.
1: What's going on, cuz? I'm like in my little hobbit hole at home, working working away tirelessly. What are you doing at our office
0: these days? I'm busy being <laughs> at the office. I'm Stepping into a time machine every day when I go to work.
1: I mean, I know that like people think etiquette's outdated, but I didn't think you were joining them. What do you mean?
0: <laughs> what I mean is... Etiquette changes and evolves, and so does EPI, the Emily Post Institute, Uh and I am in the process of bringing back a blog that we used to run called the Etiquette Daily.
1: Yay!
0: I know. One of the first things that Lizzie Post and I both did at the Emily Post Institute was work as part of Emily's Army. This was a group of people that used to answer questions that got submitted to our website via email, and... We did that as as hourly work. Mm-hmm. Lizzie's mother used to batch these questions that came in and put them on a database server. We'd go get these batches and answer them. And it was a pretty involved process. Yeah. When I started working full-time at the office, I had this idea that at the time felt very new that we could run a Q&A blog, that we could open up the discussion, mm-hmm. and that we could invite people to submit questions, and we could answer them. And also – moderate and host a discussion about etiquette and that this might be an interesting way to answer etiquette questions and to include more people in the conversation. And we did that blog for six or seven years before we essentially closed it down because it was difficult to maintain every day. And this show had emerged as a real Q&A format interaction with the audience of the Emily Post Institute. We tried to maintain the etiquette daily by rolling it into the main emilypost.com site, but that really proved difficult because there were search issues. We had so much <laughs> Q&A content when people came to our website and searched for articles, articles or a, a, an attire guide or a tipping guide. They would get many, many, many Q&As about attire and tipping that would come up as part of that search. It made it more difficult for people to find the information that they come to emilypost.com to find. So we even had to close down that archive, that Q&A archive that had built up over time. And after a couple years of No Etiquette Daily, I just want to bring it back. And I've had (laughs) a, a little bit of a pause this spring and an opportunity to do that. And as I've gotten into the work of rebuilding this blog, it So that it's not going
1: to eat up our Emily Post site at all. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It has also taken me back to those first days when I was first working at the Emily Post Institute when a QA and a blog was a new idea for us as a company and as a family. And it's really reminded me about the way the question and answer relationship with our audience has changed and evolved over time and what an important part of – our life and our work, it is.
1: Well, in Emily's day, she had this, like, giant wall of very tiny cubbies, you know, almost like the old mail room, right? And they had all these little pamphlets on, like, where to put the fork, uh, you know, when to light the candles, like, all these different little things about, about hosting and entertaining and, and etiquette in your life. And so you would just get a mailed pamphlet to you as opposed to, you know, an actual handwritten answer to your question back then. So even Emily had ways of trying to make it efficient trying to deal with both the the level of personal attention and time that she could dedicate to it as well as the level of personal attention that it deserved with then the efficiency of how do I just deal with the volume just
0: what is possible and Emily also had a question and answer radio show that she ran yeah and I'm reminded about how things do change and evolve and yet they also stay remarkably the same in so many ways us running a Q&A blog and also having a podcast where we answer and talk about etiquette questions of a contemporary audience really is very similar to the work our great great grandmother did in the spirit of changing and moving forward i also am really excited to make the etiquette daily something that's new that's not just a question and answer blog but somewhere that people can find daily etiquette content that's new and that's fresh and i want to invite our whole audience Please come check it out. I will be so curious to hear what you think. And feel free to help. I'd love to hear your suggestions, your thoughts, your ideas, things you'd like to see. Feel free to leave comments on the site or to send an email to etiquettedaily at emilypost.com.
1: Well, Dan, I'm so curious because I left you to do the postscript for um, this week's script. And I don't know what we're going to talk about. It says the bank of life dash E period P -P 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 period. So I'm guessing that's Emily Post. But the bank of what we, there the word etiquette doesn't even appear in there what are we in store for once we get through our questions and feedback
0: this is one of my favorites stick with us stay tuned you're going to find out in the postscript can't wait We have a new way for you to support the show. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the Awesome Etiquette podcast. All sustaining membership levels come with access to an ads-free version of the show, extra content from us, and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping to keep Awesome Etiquette available. Whether you choose a $2, $5, $10, or $20 a month subscription, we're incredibly grateful for your support. We invite you to visit awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com and become a sustaining member today. And now back to the show.
1: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show.
0: Our show begins with two table manners topics. Greetings. Just two questions on table etiquette. One, what is the correct way to eat a pitted olive? And two, is it proper to break pre-sliced celery sticks into bite-sized pieces? Thank you in advance. With every good wish, Arthur.
1: Arthur, we love talking about olives, but I love that you've given us a chance to talk not about the pit, but about actually pitted olives that could show up. A lot of restaurants will have a little bowl of olives. Sometimes they're even a a snack or an appetizer option. And typically they come with a spoon so that you can serve yourself a few of those olives. And then if it's More casual, communal dining, I would say those fingers are just fine. I would make sure that I'm using my napkin to wipe any oil off or anything like that. But I think that would be fine. If you really aren't comfortable holding that oily olive with your fingers or if it's got some sort of sauce or something else on it, I would absolutely use a fork. I would say go for comfort level and consider your surroundings and the people
0: that you're dining with. Try not to touch every olive in the bowl. (laughs) No fishing around for your favorite garlic stuff or blue cheese stuff. Guilty. (laughs) Um, Sort of basic communal food rules apply. I like that idea of being sure you have a napkin at hand if you're about to pick up an oily... Olive. Olive napkin lover. Dan (laughs) over here likes that suggestion too. If there is a utensil eat a pit of olive with a utensil, get it onto your plate, use your utensil to eat it, but oftentimes there isn't, oftentimes these are finger foods, so yeah. you're doing the best you can.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if you did end up with those pits, you may either use your fork to remove them from your mouth and put them on your plate or you may use your fingers. Best practice, however, for both conditions or situations, excuse me, is to put your napkin up in front of your mouth while you remove the item. Okay, so what about this other question that Arthur has for us? Is it proper to break pre-sliced celery sticks into bite-sized pieces? Now, the word break is in here, so I'm not picturing slicing them with my fork and knife. I don't think Arthur's asking about eating it with a fork and knife. But when you just pick up that stick, could you break it in half?
0: I follow the keep it neat rule in my mind when I am not sure what to do. And for me, breaking celery sticks... It's a little tricky. Sometimes you end up with those strings. I mean maybe you could just snap off a clean piece and pop it into your mouth. If that wasn't a big production or wasn't making more mess out of the situation, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think of a celery stick as finger food. that You're probably going to not put that piece back somewhere. So I don't don't mind biting off pieces of a celery stick. Here's
1: the interesting thing though. We tell people to pick up their bread take off a bite-sized portion, butter it and eat it. We don't tell people to rip a hunk off the bread, but we are suggesting to, like, rip a bite off the celery.
0: There's an older tradition around breaking bread, and maybe it's also because the, with the bread there's more of a message you're pl- like doing butter well, that's the on the butter? It. Yeah,
1: that part I get. That part I get. But I'm wondering if that's where this question is coming from. The idea of, Maybe. hey, wait a minute. Yeah. We break bread and take bite-sized pieces. Are we supposed to do that with other things that are more than one bite? Um, I think breaking celery, breaking carrots is a little more difficult by hand. It's not, it doesn't seem like the natural way to go in that instinct. I think when we're ordering the types of foods that usually come with celery sticks and and carrot sticks and, and you know, a dip or something like that, the expectation is much like that chip where you you dip, you bite and then you finish the rest of the, the chip. You know, I, yeah, that's that's what I'm picturing here.
0: And if you need to go back with the second half of that celery stick, have some of that dip on your plate so you're not going back into that communal bowl. You're avoiding that dreaded double dip, which might also be the intent of doing these bite-sized pieces. But I'd still say out of that communal ranch.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just one dip. <laughs> one dip. Arthur, we hope that this helps answer some of these wonderfully um, delicate finger food questions.
0: Our next question is about 2.30 o'clock.
1: Our graduation supply company printed invitations stating the time for graduation as 2.30 o'clock. When questioned about it, they said they follow Emily Post etiquette and that it is correct. I've been doing Google searches but cannot find anything to corroborate this. The wording I did find was half after 2 o'clock. Can you confirm the correct wording for 2.30 in the afternoon? I'm about to take a little risk. Okay, you do that.
0: (laughs) In an almost 100-year tradition, it is sometimes difficult to say with absolute certainty that we have never given the advice to write 2.30 o'clock, but it doesn't sound familiar to me.
1: It doesn't sound familiar to me either. It sounds incorrect.
0: I'm thinking that... I like the half-after-two-o'clock construction if I was looking for a formal way to put this on an invitation.
1: I think it just is the construction. <laughs> I'm not sure that 2.30 o'clock appears correctly anywhere. What I love is that we have an audience full of listeners who often are able to find delicious corners of the world where where things like this do exist or where the assumption that this is correct might have come from. I did double-check our 19th edition, that's the most updated edition of Emily Post's And we still list it as half after 2 o'clock if you are writing out an invitation.
0: So we would be curious if anyone out there could find a citation for the graduation announcement referring to 2.30 o'clock. We'd be particularly curious if you could find it in an Emily Post reference. Good luck. Happy hunting.
1: Congratulations to all the graduates.
0: And congratulations. Looks like I'm the one that's late. Could be, hell, Could be. But don't take it too hard. Our next question isn't three zits.
1: No, our next question is not three zits, but it is question number three, and it is titled
0: Zits. Hello. I'm really enjoying your show and have a question regarding rude people. What is the proper way to handle someone pointing out your imperfections? For instance, when you have a blemish and someone says you have a huge zit on your face at a full dinner table. Thanks, Kaylee.
1: Kaylee, I really a- appreciate the example that you've given us. I think it's a great one. Um, I think that I might be inclined to say something to the person directly at the t- If they were willing to call out a giant blemish on my face at the dinner table, I think I might be more willing to fire something back that was along the lines of, I'm not sure this is the moment I needed to be alerted to the zit that has been on my face all day, but thank you. Shall we change the topic of conversation? <laughs>
0: With a smile, I'm going to take that as an etiquette answer.
1: (laughs) Wait, who made you judge?
0: (laughs) You've got some others here.
1: I do. I do. I think one of the, if you want to downgrade it a bit, if you want to be a little bit less, um, wow, sis, thanks a lot. Um, I would instead go with something more along the lines of, I think that's one I'd rather not discuss at the table. Tell me more about your soccer game today.
0: Also, etiquette-appropriate.
1: <laughs> a little more etiquette-appropriate. A little, a little little, more graceful, I would say. But, you know, the the top one at least identifies feelings and comfort levels. Again, maybe the table isn't the place to be doing it.
0: <laughs> also, delivered with some humor. It's amazing the, yes. the power that that good humor has to transform whatever words come out of your mouth. Delivered with a smile on your face, trying not to let that snipe. Inspire ah. your own insecurities and result in an angry reply. That's the real challenge. Yeah. That's the real trick in Taking these situations. Taking
1: the barb off of it and bringing the light and bright to it. And to that end, Daniel post sending you actually have kind of that that absorbing tone to your sample script here. And I really liked it.
0: This is an example that I heard happen. This was a, a relative of mine. And I remember it from my childhood. Yeah she was picking up someone from a nursery school at church and i was there as a a young person and i heard another child point out the large
1: on the blemish yeah.
0: on my aunt's face yeah. and she replied something along the lines of i know it's been bothering me for 2 days i thought i was done with this in high school i guess now i know better meaning that she knew better than that you outgrow these types of blemishes yeah. and it made an impact on me as a child because it acknowledged our imperfections throughout life, that that no, there isn't some magical moment when all of a sudden everything goes well. And yeah, her ability to absorb that, to not feel defensive or insecure about something that I had been – fearing in my prepubescent years was going to be <laughs> you just heard terrible about you and heard
1: about
0: him. <laughs> I remember it to this day and it it really was a, a gracious and graceful response.
1: It's wonderful. It's it's like I said, it's absorbing. It's absorbing an insult or something you wouldn't want someone to do to you rather than immediately deflecting and and being angry at them, you know, uh which our first two answers have a bit more of that like that defense or that, oh you're being rude. You shouldn't be. Let Let's move on. Whereas yours is more like, oh, I know. And isn't it a bummer? And yes, let's talk about the soup we're eating instead. <laughs> like, you know, I really like it. Kaylee, we hope that this gives you some options to turn to, uh, no matter your mood. <laughs> but that truly, at the end of the day, hopefully the zit's gone in a day or two and and the dinner table is a more pleasant place to be.
0: No, he didn't hurt me. I don't like that guy. Why doesn't he pick on Fred Smith or somebody old age?
1: Our next question is titled, Party Guests Pay Attention. Hello, I'm a regular listener to your show, and I appreciate the useful advice I hear every week. I feel like this question may have been asked in some variation on another episode, but if it hasn't, I'd love some advice on the situation I'm finding myself in. I'm hosting a baby shower for my sister soon. A month before the event date, I sent out online invitations to a limited number of guests. The invitations had the names of each guest invited, with RSVP space for only those guests. The shower is a formal event at a small venue and with costs associated with the number of guests. About a week before the shower date, I got a few text messages from guests asking if they could bring others to the shower who were not on the invitations. I told each of the guests who asked the same thing. I let them know that due to budgeting and planning restrictions, I could not add more guests to the list and that I hoped they would understand that this time my family and I could not manage having plus ones at the party. My question is this. What is the etiquette around asking a party host if you can bring a friend to their party? I tend to be pretty flexible with plus ones when I host casual parties at my house. But I found that I was put in an uncomfortable situation when my friends started asking me about plus ones to the baby shower, which is much more formal and required RSVPs for budgeting and planning. Should I have been more specific on the invitation about this? I did include specific names and number of RSVPs per person, which was only one for each invitation. I also was. Also, was my response appropriate to my guests? I was honest with the fact that money was the motivating factor in keeping the guest list small, but again, I don't feel good being put in a position where I felt like I needed to explain why this party was invite only. Thank you so much,
0: Anonymous. I'm glad we finally got to this question because we teased it on a previous show. We did? We were talking about the subtle and tricky etiquette around asking if you can bring someone to an event. How do you approach a host – And ask if you could bring someone when you think it might be okay.
1: Yeah, things are more casual nowadays. It's, It's different.
0: And at the same time, the reason that we recommend that you proceed with some caution or some awareness that it is an ask is exactly the feeling that our question asker expresses. That all of a sudden you feel a little bit put upon to explain the reason why the plus one answer would be a no, and that oftentimes that answer has to do with decisions about budgeting and party costs. And that just starts to feel like you're getting into the nitty gritty of something that's supposed to be festive, supposed to be a party, and it doesn't make you feel good.
1: Well, and remember, too, that the question that is being asked when you're invited to something isn't... Would you and maybe anyone else you would feel comfortable coming with come? It's would you, Dan Post-Senning, like to come to this baby shower Saturday, April 23rd, you know, whatever it is? It's you have to remember that an invitation is a question (laughs) like and
0: <laughs> It's a great point and that invitation really opens the dialogue and the way that question <laughs> is asked starts to give your potential guests some idea about the level of formality of the event and how they could proceed.
1: And who's invited.
0: And who's invited <laughs> and, and what time it is and where it right. is. It includes a lot of important information and that information is both in the content of the invitation and also in the medium that it's delivered in. And because this is an online invitation – I could see a guest saying, well, maybe this is less formal than if I received a printed invitation or a yep. card in the mail. That's that's one indication. The medium that they then choose to ask for the plus one also then becomes part of the etiquette in this situation. Mm-hmm. And the fact that these asks came via text I think makes them feel like very informal, casual asks. Yes. And I think that could also contribute – to the feeling of the host then thinking, boy, this, this person isn't taking this invitation seriously enough or is thinking that it's a more broad or open or informal invitation than I intended it to be. So I, I, I see two places where there's sort of an escalating informality in terms of expectation mm-hmm. away from the expectation that we want for this event, which is that, no, this invitation is specific. It is issued to you for you.
1: I think it's also really tough because baby showers are all so different. Some really are the type of event that I'm picturing here where it's a a high-end maybe restaurant or maybe it's held at a high-end venue, something like that. And I say high-end because we're talking small group of people. You know, our anonymous has alluded to cost and things like that. I think it's safe to say that we aren't doing a potluck. Everyone from the neighborhood, whoever can make it would be so great. Shower me with your wishes type of event. There are really different ways to celebrate the coming of a baby. And it's really important that we as guests pay attention to the ways that our hosts are setting us up for this experience because often it's for an honoree and so we are really not just respecting how the host wants to to handle this but also how the honoree is going to be celebrated and we want to embrace that and not kind of impose our wishes or our conveniences onto that yes it would be more convenient if children were invited to this baby shower but they weren't And so that's the setup. And if that means you can't go, that means you can't go. The thing is, is we live in a really casual, comfortable society now. So, oh, but can't I just ask? is such an easy thing. Oh, I'll just shoot a text message. Oh, it won't bother her at all. I'll just ask and then I'll know and I'll feel better and know. And what you forget about that ask is that there's someone on the other end that it can cause pressure and anxiety for. And to just really, before you ask, ask yourself, how much do I really need this accommodation? How important is it?
0: Maybe. As is so often the case, I'm looking for the good etiquette advice thinking forward. Right, what, what right? Is- in your control, what is what is in your hands that you can do that you can feel good about that sort of saves or resolves this situation in some way? Because
1: it's going to happen. People are going to do this.
0: <laughs> I think that your answer, and I'm going to even use the, the the we and include my cousin in this, I think that we think your answer is really good.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, it was spot on
0: you decline. It's okay to say no. It's okay to decline someone's request. You can make that a really simple explanation. It doesn't need to be long and involved. You don't need to go into every reason or cause and effect.
1: You can easily say, you don't have to include even the financial that our listener included. You could easily say something along the lines of, I'm so sorry, we won't be able to accommodate extra guests, but I hope you'll still be able to come.
0: I really like that. (laughs) Nice sample script. The one other thought I had is that- If communication feels strained for any reason, if you are someone who doesn't like writing out responses, you can pick up the phone and call someone back. If they've sent you a text that leaves you with that little twinge where you don't feel particularly good about it, oftentimes it's a good idea to just pick up the phone, let that person hear your voice, and then you can give whatever explanation you want. A sample script like my cousin just provided (laughs) might come in really handy if you want to practice that ahead of time. If you trust yourself to write that reply, that's also fine.
1: Anonymous, we hope that this helps spell it out just a little bit more. It is not polite for folks to respond to invitations by asking to bring extra guests. It does happen on occasion and especially in our more casual society. But we think that you handled the situation beautifully. It all starts with knowing whether you're going or not, and with whom. It helps if the boy is early with the invitation. That way, the girl
0: feels she's his first choice. Our next question is about gifts for me or gifts for you. Hmm. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I've been listening to Awesome Etiquette for a couple of years now, and it has been helping me navigate my mid-twenties. I love how sincere you are in your advice-giving, but that you deliver it with such a lovely lightness of touch. <laughs> I'm emailing with an admittedly low-stakes etiquette dilemma. For a year or so now, I've been dating a wonderful, kind man. So far, we have found ourselves to be compatible in all the important ways. And yet, I'm writing to you too. When it comes to gift-giving, he hasn't grasped my taste yet. There's a theme to most of the presents he buys me. Think astronomy or food or art. It's an area that he is extremely passionate about. He does know that I have different interests, but I think he feels so excited when he sees something in this category that it overrides everything else in his mind and he buys it for me. A couple of times he has joked about having to stop himself from buying me something he knew wouldn't really be my taste. I have tried every gentle technique I can think of to guide him towards gifts that are a little more me. I've casually mentioned when a company whose products I enjoy has a sale on. I've written out my list of books that I'd like to read, previously kept in the Notes app on my phone and left it on my bedside table with my pile of books where he has seen it. I've mentioned films that I missed in the cinema but that I'd like to see when they come out on DVD. I've sometimes thanked him for how kind and generous he is. Rather than saying, great, I love this. On the occasion, he's given me something that I do love. I've almost gone overboard with delighted enthusiasm to try to indicate that he was on the right track. He's usually an emotionally intelligent person, but none of this seems to have worked. I know this is a small problem, but it's starting to make me feel as though I'm not seen as an individual separate from him. Do you have any advice for another approach here? I'm unsure whether to raise it gently but directly with him because he is so generous and it will seem ungrateful. He gives me quite a few of these presents, not just on special occasions. Should I just focus on the affection behind these gifts and accept that a house full of these themed items is the very minor price of admission to be with such a wonderful partner? Help. Thanks again for all the great work you do. Warm regards, Anonymous.
1: This is really hard. Um, it sounds like your house is filling up very quickly, too, with items that you you just aren't that excited about. Um, and it's very clear that you're able to separate out the, 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 the not-so-great gift-giving taste and where it comes from, from your affection for this person. But I understand after a while when... It, it's really hard because you do feel like you're looking a gift horse in the mouth. But from the, the the people in our life that are close to us, when gifts don't really have a lot of attachment to the individual receiving them, it does sort of feel like, why am I even getting this? Like, it's it's not a thing for me, you know. And that can be really hard when someone is trying to be spontaneous and give you something sweet. I think that part of the problem is that you're doing very passive things and hoping that he will pick up on them. And I think that that is tough. I think that leaving the list of books you want to read next to the pile of books on your bedside table is not a good way of going about getting him to figure this out. I think that instead I might do something when birthdays or holidays are starting to approach. I might suggest something like a wish list that the two of you come up and work on together. And maybe you can even exchange them. That way he's got it in his wallet, in his back pocket. And you could say that this is something that would be helpful for you, that you would like This, that you would like the two of you to do this. And it might at least get some of those gifts coming in at the more giftable times to be gifts that you really enjoy. And the incidental gifts that he just is inspired to purchase on a whim really are more about him being inspired in the moment and loving you and wanting to share that with you. Um, And even if it's not your thing, uh, he's having those moments when he's out and about and he's being reminded of you. And that's how you can take those gifts. But I think that if I was doing this, Really, I I love that you said gently and directly approaching this. I would gently and directly approach it by asking to do a gift list swap. And that way there's kind of some guidance on there.
0: That is such a practical answer. I love it. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) It really leaves the space for some direction to be given when there's a more significant Event that's happening, yeah. and at the same time, also allows for that generosity of spirit that is part of the way your partner clearly approaches these things to continue to be one of his idiosyncrasies, and that that might be something that. He loves, as you say, a price of admission for this relationship and something that while it might not be your favorite thing, maybe you love that about him, that generosity of spirit or that quirky attribute. I've got to say as I was reading this question, it read the way I would hope an answer that I give sounds. There is so much awareness and even the the nature of the approach, it was such a gentle approach. I I could see the escalation of the tactics involved and – the awareness of of all the things that are at play, the dynamics of the relationship. And because of that awareness, I would echo my cousin's sentiment and say that I I think I would trust you to have a more direct conversation. And in the same way you've mapped it out for us, I really liked your language about wanting to feel seen in the relationship. And as that feeling starts to emerge for you, I'm sure a partner as generous as the partner you describe here would want to know about that feeling also and that I think that you would be able to communicate in a way that would effectively do that.
1: Okay, so a final thought, if you want to address the fact that you are receiving a lot of things that just really aren't your taste, they're all themed in this thing that he loves, might be to focus on his generosity of spirit and inspiration in the moment and say, Jim dear, I am so thrilled that you are such a generous and wonderful partner. It's your gifts just, they they do make me feel touched. The generosity of spirit is so wonderful. However, I have to admit that This is really something that's that's more of your excitement and enthusiasm and interest and i would say your style and when you're out in the world and you're having that moment where you see that item and you think oh let's go crazy and get all the things that are covered in this thing or look like this or look there's a whole box set um take a picture of it and send me the picture instead this is not an easy like suggestion to deliver by the way it would take quite a lot of etiquette dancing to get this one right but I like the idea of you could take a picture of that thing and send it to me rather than buying me the thing that really isn't my thing.
0: Anonymous, clearly you have a loving partner and a really good problem to be dealing with.
1: That fella had a lot to learn about girls. Your mother lost all interest in him after she met me. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or send us a text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know that you want your question or feedback on the show.
0: Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today's feedback begins. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I love your podcast. I especially enjoy the affection and camaraderie that the two of you obviously share. (laughs) Thank you. I am listening to the question that was raised when a church dinner did not include all of the foods that a particular church member who was on a strict diet wanted to eat. I would like to respectfully suggest another point of view. For five years, due to severe illness, I ate a very restricted diet. I could not eat dairy, egg, sugar, gluten, corn, or soy. When I was invited to an event that featured food, I would mention my situation and ask what was being served. I did this not because I expected to be accommodated, but so that I could be prepared to make up any deficiencies. I made sure that my hosts understood that I did not expect them to go to extra work and worry just to feed me. If I needed more calories than I would be able to eat at the meal, I ate something beforehand so I wasn't as hungry. Or if the event was casual, I would bring my own gluten-free bread or a bowl of beans that would fill me up. The world does not revolve around me. I do not expect people who are busily trying to produce a large feast to cater to every single guest's preferences, particularly if they are working within a limited budget. I did regularly attend a small book club which featured sugary treats. The host always included a bowl of fresh fruit for me, a kind gesture that I greatly appreciated. But I did not expect it. I was fine if I could just sip a glass of water and talk to my friends about books. For me, the point of such gatherings is not the food. It is the wonderful chance to associate with people that I care about. Thanks for letting me share these thoughts and keep up the good work. Linnell, Provo, Utah.
1: Linnell, I couldn't second your suggestions further. I think it's a great idea. We always say you want to be able to take care of yourself. That way you aren't putting the blame on other people. That way you aren't making it their obligation. I think a lot of folks with dietary restrictions have moments where they just get really, really frustrated with constantly having to adjust or not having enough that they can enjoy. And it is, it's a tough moment. And I know a lot of friends who are on Restricted Diets who have it. I had that moment with my family this Christmas. It happens from time to time. But I love every proactive thing that Linnell has suggested here. And mostly I love her proactive attitude of this is something I have to deal with. It's my thing to deal with.
0: Linnell, oftentimes when we look at situations, we would give one piece of advice to someone on one side of it, and I would Mm -hmm. give another piece of advice to someone on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. I think that your advice will stay in my little mental record book for good advice to give guests who are dealing with this kind of situation.
1: Absolutely. Our next piece of feedback comes from Gwendolyn in France. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. During the podcast, you always encourage listeners to send you feedback, so I decided to join. I want to thank you so much for the awesome podcast. I listen to it from France every Tuesday morning on my way to work, and it always brightens my day. I especially enjoy discovering other countries' etiquette. Even as a French person, I find your podcast resourceful. It was a great help during my wedding planning last year. I loved every idea for a few minutes, and I tried to maintain my balance. In a friendly but firm way. I didn't know the practice of thank you notes, so I try to include them in my daily life now. So far, every recipient has been very enthusiastic about it. Not only is your podcast very interesting and full of content, but it is so much fun to listen to. I find it a very enjoyable way of practicing my English listening skills, since you always speak very clearly. Thank you so much, and I hope that many more episodes are to come. Have a very nice day. Best regards. Gwen Gwendolyn from Lyon, France.
0: Gwendolyn, it is so nice to hear from you.
1: Bonjour, right? Absolutely. <laughs> You're <laughs> one of us that actually speaks French.
0: Un petit peu. Un petit peu. Je suis très
1: désolé, monsieur, mais je ne parle pas français.
0: Très bon.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now we're about hitting the limit of my conversation, yep, French. Yeah,
1: that's it for me too. <laughs>
0: I wish Pooja were here. She would take us just a little bit further. Oh,
1: man. I love it. I love it. Gwendolyn, thank you so much for sharing this. It's so nice to hear how all the different topics that we cover on Awesome Etiquette can kind of find their way into into your daily life or your, your mental thought.
0: I was particularly pleased to hear about you giving thank you notes a try and that they were so well received. That is a real affirmation of the advice that we give. Thank you for sharing that.
1: And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
0: It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a particular etiquette topic. And today's Postscript is something Lizzie Post has been waiting for. I
1: want to know. What is this? The bank of life, Emily Post? What is this? You're breaking out the 1922 edition.
0: I am. I, as I mentioned in a previous show, have been listening to the Laura Claridge biography of Emily Post, and it has me just ruminating on the the great maven of American manners, Emily Post, our great-great-grandmother who began this tradition. And it got me thinking about the 1922 edition of Etiquette, which is the point in the biography that I'm up to. This book just (laughs) came out. We're about two-thirds of the way through. And listening to Laura Claridge talk about the impact of etiquette made me think about some of my favorite passages from the 1922 edition. And I thought that I would take this opportunity to share one of them. And it's Emily, and it's from her chapter on one's position in the community. It comes from page 65. And it's about a concept of etiquette, but then, as is often so true with Emily, she has some really practical thoughts as well that I really appreciated and I thought everyone out there might Chapter 9 begins, one's position in the community, the choice. First of all, it is necessary to decide what one's personal idea of position is, whether this word suggests merely a social one, comprising a large or an exclusive acquaintance and leadership in social gaiety, or position established upon the foundation of communal consequence, which may or may not include great social gaiety. In other words, you who are establishing yourself either as a young husband or a stranger. Would you, if you could have your wish granted by a genie, choose to have the populace look upon you askance and in awe because of your wealth and elegance? Or would you wish to be loved, not as a power conferring favors which belong really to the first picture, but as a fellow being with an understanding heart? The granting of either wish is not a bit beyond the possibilities of anyone." It is merely a question of depositing securities of value in the bank of life. And now we know. The bank of life. Life, whether social or business, is a bank in which you deposit certain funds of character, intellect, and heart, or other funds of egotism, hard-heartedness, and unconcern, or deposit nothing. And the bank honors your deposit and no more. In other words, you can draw nothing out but what you have put in. If your community is to give you admiration and honor, it is merely necessary to be admirable and honorable. The more you put in, the more you will be paid out to you. It is too trite to put on paper. But it is astonishing, isn't it, how many people who are depositing nothing whatsoever expect to be paid in admiration and respect. A man of really high position is always a great citizen first and above all. Otherwise, he is a hollow puppet, whether he is a millionaire or has scarcely a dime to bless himself with. In the same way, a woman's social position that is built on sham, vanity, and selfishness is like one of the buildings at an exposition, effective at first sight, but bound when slightly weather-beaten to show stucco and glue. It would be very presumptuous to attempt to tell any man how to acquire the highest position in his community, especially as the answer is written in his heart, his intellect, his altruistic sympathy, and his ardent civic pride. A subject, however, that is not so serious or overawing and which can perhaps have directions written for it is the lesser ambition of acquiring a social position.
1: So that is the bank of life.
0: The bank of life. We make character deposits.
1: I love it. I love it. And I can think of so many people who need it right now or who are operating with a bank that maybe doesn't have the best deposits.
0: She has this idea that you can aspire to be... Thought well of for good or bad reasons right. and that you could achieve either. And she even includes just briefly this possibility that you could aspire for none of this.
1: Yeah, like it could just happen. <laughs> it could not
0: even be occurring to you. But but that once you've decided, ah, I want some social position, yeah. there are different kinds of social position that you might occupy and that you will get what you invest in. And... It, it, it's It's both conceptual advice, but it's also practical and Then she goes on to talk about how frankly the the what she considers to be the higher form the form of social admiration that is about your character and your heart. It's harder for her to give direction about that. Of
1: course.
0: (laughs) She could help you with the lesser goal of establishing yourself in in certain social ways.
1: Well, and even just to understand that really, it truly is at the heart what matters. And we talk a lot about honesty. Consideration and respect are just so easy for people to understand and demand. And we walk around with honesty as as just, of course, you're supposed to be truthful. But when we talk about honesty in the business etiquette seminars that Dan gives – the the word we come back to to explain honesty is um is sincerity and if your heart cannot be sincere if if you are not truly believing the words that you say or the intentions that you are putting out into the world if there is manipulation behind them, if there is, you know, self-gain behind them, not because self-gain shouldn't be something that can be worthwhile and go after, but self-gain in a way that, that could harm others or that's deceptive to others, that will resonate, that will come back um, in the bank of life to bite you. And that that will be something that that shows and emerges. But if you have that that trueness of heart, if you have that, Um, confidence in your character, if you have that genuine um, desire to be good in your community, that will reign through. That will be seen. And
0: if you conduct yourself accordingly, you make those deposits.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful postscript, Dan. I loved being surprised by that.
0: Thank you. And I hope that we're all inspired to go make some deposits in the character bank of life. After all, it's only a matter of getting into a pattern of good living habits. Once they become habits, you needn't worry about them. We like to end our show on a high note. So we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms.
1: Today, we have one from Parizad. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. This etiquette salute is probably too long, but I hope you don't mind that I'm sharing it with you too. Smiley face. A little over a year ago, I rescued an amazing senior dog. This is my first pet ever. It took over a year to find a dog that had all of the qualities I was looking for, mainly hypoallergenic, house-trained, and laid-back. I grew up without pets because my mom also grew up that way. Most of our family friends do not have pets. When out in public, I've noticed my mom gets a bit nervous or skittish around dogs. I was hesitant to send this salute because I'm ashamed of myself. I went against your rule of honesty and did not tell my parents that I adopted a dog. Like, I didn't tell them for over a year. When my parents came to visit, I found a doggy sitter for him. The second time they had come to visit, he had had a little stomach bug and had gotten sick in my apartment a couple of times. I knew he didn't mean to because he's the type of dog that digs all four paws down and refuses to come inside after our walks if he still needs to potty a little more. About a week before their visit, I called my mom and told her I have a dog. I also told her that he had had a couple of accidents at home because he was sick. Then I reassured her that I would be more than happy to find a doggy sitter for him during their stay. I asked her to please think about it and text her call me the next day. She said she didn't need to think about it. This was his home. She can't just kick him out like that. When my parents arrived, my mom had brought him a little sweater and a toy. Later during their visit, my dad quietly told me that she'd been very nervous. So even though she had major reservations, she did what she always does. She put others at rest, considered everyone's feelings, and was a shining example of everything I ought to be. I am glad to say my mom absolutely loves my dog. She especially loves that he's so chill. He pretty much likes to hang out and stare at people. By the end of their visit, my mom would insist on being the one that took him on his walks. There's a heart emoji after that. Thank you for all that you do. Warm regards, Perizad.
0: Thank you for this salute. I could see my beaming cousin who has a a rescue dog of her own who is the... Center yes, of... he is the
1: center of my life and, and getting older, so I get a little more, more touched when I hear the dog stories these days. I will not turn this into a salute for Benny. <laughs> well,
0: he is a sweet, sweetheart, and clearly this family also has a very sweet heart. Thank you for sharing.
1: And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post.
0: And I'm at Daniel underscore Post.
1: On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please help us out. Become a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank Thank you, you, Chris.